Welcome to Spooky Island Radio and this week's Campfire Stories episode. In these episodes, prepare to be scared and spooked from around my campfire here on Spooky Island. No filler, just fire in these episodes. So it's time to get wrapped up in your blanket and toast some marshmallows and relax with Spooky Island Radio Campfire Tales. Welcome everybody to this week's Campfire Tales. I've got three stories to tell today, and they're all science fiction based. So we're heading out into outer space for our first interstellar episode of Campfire Tales. My first story today is a science fiction story about astronauts who land on an unexplored planet and come into contact with a life form that they don't understand. I live in the smoke, green smoke in the red light of the moons. I live within the smoke, floating, watching and waiting. I've waited on this barren planet for almost a thousand years. One day I hear voices, human voices speaking in a human tongue. I watch, I wait and I listen. Three humans stand near a small spacecraft. They all are all dressed in shiny metallic suits and wear glass helmets on their heads. One human signals to the others and they take off their helmets and breathe in the air. The humans spread out to explore the brown surface of the planet and one of them sees something that catches his interest. It sees the green smoke. It sees me. The curious human approaches It stares at me and I stare back. I reach out and touch it. And now, I am human. I look down at myself. I wriggle my fingers. I stretch my legs. And touch my shiny metal suit. I breathe in. For the first time in a thousand years, I taste the air. What's wrong? I hear a voice. I understand what the voice is saying. And I open my mouth to reply. Nothing is wrong, I say. Uh, Everything is normal. And for the first time in a thousand years, I have a body. I test it out. I blink my eyes, I nod my head, and I stretch my arms. I get down on my hands and knees, and walk around. The two humans approach me cautiously. What are you doing? One human asks. "What's, What's wrong with you? I am normal, I say. There's nothing to fear. I feel a trembling within, and it grows and grows until I cannot stop myself trembling. I feel a burning heat within. My mouth opens and I emit a piercing scream. I cannot help myself. I collapse onto the ground and my body thrashes to and fro, my limbs flailing wildly. I cannot control the body anymore. I close my eyes and the screaming stops. The shivering ceases, and I am floating in the green smoke once more. The dead human lies on the ground, and the other two humans gather around it and kneel down. And I reach out to touch one of them. Now, I am human once more. He's dead, says the other human. His heart stopped. I nodded my head. What happened, Captain? It asks. How could he just die like this? 
I stand up straight and I roll my eyes. I put a hand on the front of my head and feel my nose, my mouth, my face. And I take in a deep breath of air and let it out slowly. What's wrong, Captain? The human asks. But we must leave this planet immediately, I say. Together, we carry the dead human back to the spacecraft, then drop him. I can feel the trembling in my body once again. The shaking grows and grows, and I do not know how to control it. The burning sensation deep inside once again, and I am screaming. My right hand reaches into my belt and fumbles for a weapon. I cannot stop it, and it places the weapon to my head. Sir, what are you doing? The human cries. And against my will, the finger pulls the trigger. There is a deafening explosion, and the screaming stops, and I'm floating in the green smoke once more. The second dead human lies on the ground below. Where its head once was, there's just a twisted mass of blood and bone. The one remaining human makes a run for the spacecraft, and I follow him. I cannot allow him to leave. He scrambles up the ladder and gets inside, and just before he closes the door, I reach out and touch him. I am human once more. I climb down the ladder and go for a walk. I walk and jump and dance and sing, and I skip across the planet's barren surface, turning cartwheels as I go. This body will only last a few short minutes, but I will enjoy them while I can. Soon I will return to the green smoke, and when I do, I will wait. I will wait as long as it takes. I will wait and wait until more humans arrive. My second story today tells the tale of two astronauts who were travelling back to Earth on a spaceship. The silence was maddening. Day after day, week after week, month after month, I sat there listening to the endless silence and I couldn't take it anymore. When we left Earth, there had been 20 men on board. Now there are only two, myself and Bernsey. We were on the last leg of a three-year mission to explore deep space. Every day, Bernsey sat there reading his book. Whenever I tried, whenever I tried to talk to him, he just ignored me. He wouldn't even look at me. Ever since the accident, he only spoke to me when it was absolutely necessary. It wasn't my fault. I said, it it was an accident, and that's the truth. You've got to believe me. He flipped the pages of his book, acting like I didn't exist. It was a momentary lapse, I protested, a lapse of concentration. It could have happened to anyone, and he didn't even reply. It had been six months since the accident. One of the engines had burned out and had to be repaired. Eighteen men went out on a spacewalk to fix it. Bernsey and I had been left alone on the ship. Our job was to test that the instruments were working correctly. There was a checklist we had to go through. Bernsey went through his checklist, calling out each test one by one, and I flipped the switches. Something went wrong. I mean, I don't know how it happened, but I flipped the wrong switch, and the engines roared into life. Some of the men on the spacewalk were incinerated immediately. At least, I hope that's what happened. The others were sent hurtling into space. Their bodies are still out there somewhere, floating aimlessly. 
In less than an hour, their oxygen would have run out. They died in a terrible death, and now their corpses are doomed to drift forever, somewhere out there in the vastness of space. I didn't mean to kill them, I said. It it was an accident. Burnley turned at me and glared at me. It was murder, he growled. Plain and simple. If it hadn't been for you, those 18 men would still be alive. I'm sure you would have killed me too if you had the chance. In another six months, we'll be back on Earth. Then you'll stand trial for your crimes. I'll testify against you, and I'll make sure they know exactly what you did. They'll find you guilty, and you'll rot in prison for the rest of your miserable life. I sighed and looked at the clock. It's time for the spacewalk, I said. Every day we had to do a spacewalk to check the integrity of the spaceship's outer hull and make sure there was no damage from straight meteor strikes. It was my turn today. It was always my turn. Ever since the accident, he didn't trust me one bit. And I didn't trust him either. While I went out on the spacewalk, he stayed on the ship. And if he wanted to, he could lock me out. And I wasn't going to let that happen. So when he wasn't looking, I took the key to the hatch so I could open it from the outside if I needed to. I put on my spacesuit and my magnetic boots and stepped into the airlock, sealing the door behind me. I climbed up the ladder and opened the hatch. Then I stepped out onto the hull of the ship. I stared out at the vast blackness of space, dotted with tiny twinkling stars. It was completely silent. I walked across the side of the ship, my magnetic boots clumping against the hull and after examining the outside, I didn't find any problems. Then, I had an idea. I clicked the button on my communicator and shouted, Burnsy, one of the plates is badly damaged and needs to be repaired immediately. Okay, he replied, I'll get the tools. After a while, Burnsy emerged from the hatch wearing his spacesuit. He was carrying a toolbox under his arm, and he came walking towards me, his magnetic boots clamping slowly against the hull. Where is it? he asked. I didn't reply, I just pointed towards the rear of the spaceship. He started walking. As soon as he had his back to me, I slipped down the hatch and closed it behind me. I unsealed the door and stepped out into the airlock. Over the communicator, I could hear Burnsy shouting and screaming and trying to reason with me. I took off my helmet so I didn't have to listen to him. I could hear his magnetic boots clamping backwards and forth across the hull of the ship. He was probably trying to pry open the hatch, desperate to get back inside the ship before his oxygen ran out, but it was no use. Soon he'd be dead. Suddenly, Burnsy appeared outside the port window. His face was contorted and his eyes were bulging out of their sockets, and he was slowly suffocating. I watched his face turn red, then purple. He clawed at his helmet and he struggled to draw his last breath. Blood began running from his eyes and I couldn't stand to watch it anymore. It made me sick. With Burnsy dead, there was no one to tell the people back on Earth about the accident. His body would be burned up on re-entry and I could make up some story to explain the disappearance of the rest of the crew and nobody would suspect a thing. Days passed and the ship continued on its slow progress back to Earth. 
Whenever I look back at the port window, Burnsy would be sit standing there swaying backwards and forth, staring in at me. His magnetic boots kept him fixed in place, and his dead eyes hung out of their sockets. I tried not to look, but I couldn't help myself. Eventually, I couldn't stand the sight of him any longer. I put my spacesuit and my magnetic boots and made my way into the airlock. I made sure to bring the key with me, as I didn't want to get stranded on the outside. I opened the hatch and stepped out onto the hull of the ship. The hatch door closed behind me, I clamped across the ship towards Bernsey's corpse. I couldn't bear to look him in the face. I tugged at his magnetic boots, struggling to free him from the ship's hull. One of his legs became loose and then the other, and I gave him a hard shove as his weightless body began to drift away. Goodbye, Bernsey. I'll see you in hell, I said. I turned and started clumping back towards the hatch. Then I stopped and looked over my shoulder. I looked back at Bernsey's corpse that drifted off into the vastness of space, his bulging, lifeless eyes staring back at me. His twisted mouth seemed to grin at me. One of his arms moved slightly, as if he was waving at me. Then, as he slowly floated away, I caught sight of something in his glove hand. No, I cried. In his hand, I was clutching the key to the hatch door. The silence of space is all around me. For almost an hour, I have been standing here, fixed to the hull of the ship, swaying backwards and forwards, listening to the silence. I stare in through the port window and I wait. I'm waiting for the what moment my oxygen supply runs out. Waiting until my face turns red, then purple. Waiting until I start clawing at my helmet as I struggle to draw my last breath. Waiting for the blood to start running from my eyes. And then, I know, it's finally the end. My final story today is a science fiction story about a boy who can pass through mirrors. There was a kid we used to play with when we were young. His name was Simon, and he had a really strange ability. He could pass through mirrors. We had no idea how he managed to do it. But for him, it was the most natural thing in the world. He would just tell us to stand aside, and then he would poke his head through the mirror and climb through it. When he was on the other side, he would turn around and wave at us from the mirror world. Simon was able to step through any mirror just as easily as if he was walking through a doorway. I worked with any, it worked with any reflective surface. He could hop in and hop out. Whenever he touched something in, in which we could, he could see his reflection, his finger would go right through. One day he sat down at the edge of a puddle and simply lowered his legs into it as if it was a bottomless pit. He told us all about what it was like to be in the mirror world, how different it was. Everything was much the same. It was just the other way around. Left and right were flipped, he could see people's reflections as they passed by without noticing him. Apparently, if the mirror was smudged, the mirror world would be smudged as well. If the mirror was tilted at a slight angle, the mirror world would also be tilted, and he would have to slide down to the floor and run back uphill to climb out. One day, a guy named Mark invited Simon to his birthday party. Simon entertained everyone by showing off his mirror skills. 
Eventually, Mark got fed up with him hogging all the attention. They got into a fight and Mark chased after him. But of course, Simon jumped through a mirror and Mark wasn't able to get at him. We all thought it was pretty funny, but then Simon took it too far. He turned towards Mark's reflection in the mirror world and punched him in the mouth. He hit Mark's reflection so hard that he knocked out three of his teeth. I mean, Mark was fine, of course, but his reflection certainly wasn't. After that, whenever he stood in front of a mirror, he saw his battered reflection with a swollen mouth and missing teeth, and there was nothing he could do to fix it. One day, Mark decided to get his revenge. He cornered Simon down by the beach and dragged him to an old fishing pier. Mark grabbed him by his ankles and held him upside down over the clear surface of the lake. If you ever do something like that again, Mark threatened, I swear I'll drop you in this lake. I mean it. Simon pleaded for his life and that he was sorry. Mark wasn't actually going to hurt him. He just wanted to give Simon a scare. However, something went wrong. He attempted to pull Simon back up, but Mark wasn't as strong as he thought. He lost his grip and Simon fell. He let out a terrified scream as he hit the surface of the lake and disappeared. When Simon didn't come home that night, his parents called the police. They searched for days, but they couldn't find any trace of him. Then, an old man who had been fishing on the beach came forward and told the police he'd seen Mark drop some screaming kid into the lake. The police arrested Mark and they dragged the dredged the lake for five days straight searching for Simon's corpse. Police divers went down there as well, looking for the body, but they couldn't find anything. To this day, nobody's been able to find him. You see, the surface of the lake was like one huge mirror. Mark didn't drop Simon into the lake. He dropped him into the sky. fire now beginning to fade I think I will leave it there for today I hope you enjoyed this week's scary camp stories and remember to listen out for a full episode of Spooky Island Radio next week until then over and out